0: or an emotional dump or a moral funk, uh, we have a remedy for you. Uh, We have a rope of rescue that will keep you from diving any deeper into the molly grubs. We have something that is so full of energy, so inspirational that it will lift you right up out of your pit of discouragement. Echo Global Missions Conference starts this week, Friday, Friday night at the Wasilla campus and johnny gillespie is the keynote speaker every evening and you don't want to miss that that's the most exciting thing that i'm looking forward to is hearing johnny every evening friday saturday and sunday evening and then monday is our banquet at the palmer campus so this is the best quality that i love actually about church on the rock I love our investment in missions. And over the past 12 months, as a local church, we've been privileged to give over $657,000 to local and global missions. $657,000 for our four little campuses in rural Alaska, Wasilla, Palmer, Talkeetna, and Willow. And I just love the priority that... Church on the Rock makes on mission outreach. It's got to please the heart of the Father, don't you think? So, I'd like to gear us up this morning for our Echo Global Missions Conference with a teaching on scattering the light. Uh, That's what missions is about, it's about scattering the light. The theme of our ECHO Missions Conference this year, just love the way we went through all those themes of past years, and the theme this year is called Translucent. And translucent means letting the light shine through, uh, transmitting the light. And as Christians, we are called to be translucent, uh, to transmit the light. We are people who are sent on mission to let the light of the glory of Christ pass through or shine through. Our lives. So here's the key scripture. It's the one Jolene read earlier. I'll read it again. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So I'd like to show you today uh, the principle of translucence from the New Testament, and particularly from the New Testament book of 1 Peter. And I just want to make a little short disclaimer of the message today because I want to make an apology in advance. I do not want this to be too heavy because the reason I say that is because what I'm going to share with you is some exciting material that I discovered when I wrote my doctoral dissertation. I did my thesis on the book of 1 Peter. So you're going to share with me in some of the gleanings that I discovered years ago when I wrote my doctoral dissertation. And What I had set out to do was to discover the, in the mind of Peter what his thoughts were about the missional purpose of the church. What is the purpose of the church? Uh, So much of the writing about the church and the role of a pastor and the purpose of a congregation, a church, came from Paul's writings, the Apostle Paul, because he did write several epistles to his preacher boys, Timothy and Titus. So he, Paul actually directly has much more to say in his advice to the church. But I thought, well, what about Peter? He was the, he was the head of the church. What was his perspective when he wrote his two epistles and, and his, in his sermons, even in the book of Acts? What can we find in what his perspective and priority was and uh, i only got as far as first peter and that was far enough but and i'm not going to get very far this morning but i want to look at the book of first Pe- <coughs> first peter excuse me it is a what is known as a general letter, a, in other words, a widespread letter, not, not a letter written to a specific person or to a specific church, but a general letter that was written to be read by many churches throughout Asia Minor. And uh, these were Christians who were suffering because of the persecution under the Roman despotic uh, emperor Nero. And he had blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome. And so they were forced to leave their homes. And they were being scattered throughout Asia Minor. And uh, their, their lives were impacted by these socio-political changes. And it was just literally turning their own personal world upside down, and they were being sent into something that was new for them, something that was unfamiliar, that was strange, and even uncomfortable. And so we come to Peter's letter. What would Peter say to these people, suffering and struggling, and what would he say to them? And I'm just intrigued even by the very first words that he chose when he's reminding them of who they are. And, and so his letter in chapter 1, verse 1, begins this way. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, For obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. And so what Peter is telling these people is that God has called them. They have a calling on their lives and he has sent them on mission out to do the work of Christ in our world to be a light in every situation in life, no matter how hard it is, is an opportunity to shine as a light for Jesus. And that's how he starts his letter. He says that you are called or you are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And, and he wants them to know that they are highly favored by God. That if if God has a picture in his wallet, your picture's in his wallet. If he has a, a picture on his refrigerator, your picture's on his refrigerator. That he chose you, that he's loved you from the foundation of the world in the foreknowledge of God. He, he wants you to be on his team. And that's significant because, as my history professor in Bible college used to say, that God has matched his people for every generation. He has put us here in this world and called us because he has confidence in us. And he says, I want you to play on my team, right? Seattle Mariners, whatever the team's name is, I, I want you to play on my team. You are called. But you're set apart also by the Holy Spirit. Notice the the Trinitarian uh, phrase in here. You're called by God the Father through the foreknowledge of God the Father. You're elected, chosen by Him. But there's a second part, and that's the role of the Holy Spirit, where He has sanctified you or set you apart in this world to live distinctly in the image of God. And so you're filled with the power of the Spirit to be people who reflect the character and the nature of God in heaven. And then thirdly, there's Jesus Christ who came to our world and lived a life before us. And he said that we are to go and make disciples of all people, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you And so Peter says that it's unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So he's saying that God has chosen you, the Holy Spirit has filled you with his presence to make you the distinctive people of God who reflect the image of God in heaven. And the purpose of your life is the same purpose for which Christ came to the world. And you're to live in alignment with Christ's incarnation into this world for the purpose in which he shed his blood on the cross for the redemption of the world so our obedience to Jesus Christ is is in alignment with his sprinkling the sprinkling of his blood it's just an interesting phrase there but i love the phrase and what it means that we exist in this world for the same reason that Jesus came to our world to save the seek and to save those who are lost and so he starts out this Letter to suffering Christians to, to raise their awareness of their identity of who they are. You're you're called. You're chosen of God. You're filled and sanctified and formed by the Holy Spirit and 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 for the purpose of reaching the the lost in our world. And so I'm going to read to you the two verses from First Peter that I want to look at today that describe a pattern that God has for the church, a pattern that God has for your life. It's a pattern of the Holy Spirit's activity in every generation. First Peter 1.1 says, I am writing to people who are elect exiles of the dispersion. The way the NIV says it, elect strangers who are scattered. And then The second scripture is in the second chapter of 1 Peter, verse 11, where he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among your unbelieving neighbors honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see Something They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. So these verses remind us of who we are and who we are to be in the circumstances that we are in. They are saying that God has a plan to scatter the light. And so I want to talk to you today about God's calling on your life to scatter the light, God's calling on your life to scatter the light. And in this opening salutation, Peter uses three words to describe God's calling on our life to scatter the light. Now, these are three interesting words. He uses the word elect. He's writing to God's elect. He describes them as elect or chosen exiles, and scattered. The the NIV puts it that way. The ESV says to those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion or the diaspora. So Peter writes to Christians who, who has a threefold description. They are chosen, exiles, and scattered. And it's these three words that get me excited about how they shape and define what missions is about. Christians are sent on mission to scatter the light. We are chosen, that's the Greek word eklektos. We are exiles or parapitamos. We are scattered or diaspora. And we, our life consists of these three uh, characteristics. And so I want to look at them. First of all, It means that we are passing through earth as residents of heaven. We're passing through earth as residents of heaven. There are three movements or three ways in which the light becomes translucent in our lives. First of all, we are brought into covenant relationship with God through the love of God that says, I want you. I've chosen you. I've elected you. And so that Peter starts out by saying that we are chosen by the foreknowledge of God the Father. And that's where it starts. That's the source of it. That's where the light begins. It comes from heaven. It comes from God. And what Peter is essentially saying by implication is don't ignore the calling on your life. Don't ignore why you are here, and that, and the significance that God has chosen you—that He's of all of the genetic possibilities of, of, uh, 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 and, the, and the improbability that I would ever have been born and you would ever have been born. Think of it—that God has chosen us and put us here, and and the the reality of that should not be lost in our thinking. That. God has picked us, chosen us, loved us, elected us. And then secondly, we are passing through this earth with a distinctive disposition. We are to be like the Holy Spirit wants to form us. Peter says that we are exiles, we are parapitomas. That means that we should, as we move through this world, we should not compromise the light or sully the light. We should keep the light clear and distinctive like the light of heaven. And then thirdly, we are people sent to be a movement of the Spirit into wilderness places. He Peter uses the word diaspora or scattered. And so when we put these three words together, they, they mean that we are called out to be pilgrims through and but scattered into. And there's just a genius in the way that Peter formed these three ideas. One biblical scholar makes this observation about why Peter put these three words together at the beginning of his letter. He says, quote, The interrelationship of these three words reveals the author's underlying convictions about the nature of the Christian church or community and its relationship to the surrounding world which begs a question, it brings up a question. What is the proper way a Christian should relate to the world Uh, as distinctive citizens of heaven called by God to reflect the nature of God with the Spirit of God in us on the mission of Jesus? How should we live in this world? Should we conform to the world, be like the world? How do we contextualize the gospel in the circumstances where we find ourselves. And that's really the ultimate debate question surrounding missions. And this is what it means, Peter says, to be a Christ follower. We are to live as the distinguishable people of God. It, it should be just certain and clear that we belong to the Lord because he's called us. Where we're part of his family and we bear his family likeness and he put his spirit within us to bear that family likeness in non-conformity to the world, that being on the mission of Christ doesn't mean we have to conform to the world. But scattered into the world, Peter says, not withdrawn from the world, not recluse from the world, but in the world, scattered into the world, into the contextualization with the world to suffer with Christ for the world, Peter even says. A sp- in obedience unto the sprinkling of his blood. It's like Paul said in- to the church at Colossae that you might fill up in your body the suffering that was lacking in Christ. Not that there was something wrong with the suffering of Christ and the cross. It means that his mission was not complete in this world. And that's why he has the church. And so we suffer on the same mission in the context of being in the world. Does that make sense? You still with me? Still awake? Hang on. It It gets gooder so what this means is that we are called to live out the story of God, God's story and why he created the world and what he's doing in our world and his plan for the world in the future. We are part of the story. We're chosen by him to be part of his story in the world. But we're in this paradoxical social tension between nonconformity where we we're like God in the world and not like the world, and yet contextualization, we're in the world to, to love the world and be part of the world, and immersed in the world. And so we are the chosen of God, and we live then to advance the story of God, His story, His family purpose in the world, We're strangers in society, Peter says, that that we we live to reflect heaven's values. Often counterculturally, your values are different many times from this world, but scattered or migrated into the multicultural structures and institutions of, our society. So Peter put these three words together at the beginning of his letter to say that they will shape our self-understanding of who we are, that God has a calling on our life to scatter the light. And our life reflects or shines or narrates the story of God wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever your occupation, wherever you find yourself, that you are God's children on mission for him, on his team. But to live as an alternative way of life, to remind people around you, hey, there, there is God out there and there is heaven and there's a, a different way to live. i reminded of that. Immediately what came to mind was a situation when I was on the, the Tudor Road turnabout. This week, and uh, and I, I had a truck pulling a trailer, and you know you have to decide when you're going to move into the the turn the turn and turn about, and and I nosed my truck in, and all of a sudden in the corner of my eye I saw this little black car just. Ripping around the corner, so I stopped. And as this car passed me, this lady was just giving it to me. She was just yelling and screaming, and and I'm thinking, whoa, slow down! I <laughs> I stopped for you. I waited for you, you know. And and then there was another situation. What was it? Where um, on the road construction on goose Bay Road this week? Uh, I uh, you know how they're they're putting in new road and I got mis- mixed up turning on a side road and I turned in a turning lane that was actually the other lane that was supposed to come towards me and this lady's wanting to turn to get on her lane and she's looking at me but she's laughing and smiling and I looked at her and said sorry you know and she let me by and it's like these two different way two different ways to live you know to and, and as Christians we live in the context of a of a broken world, but reflecting the character of God in heaven. But we're scattered. We don't, not, we're not withdrawn from the world and escapist from the world. We're, we're migrated, we're diaspora into the multicultural structures and institutions of society. So Peter puts these words together saying, you're immersed into the hurt and the pain of the world, just like Jesus was himself. But there's another verse in 1 Peter that tells us how the church scatters the light. In chapter 2 verse 11, Peter uses two other words to describe how to view our movement of time through this earth. And I just love what it says here in 1 Peter 2:11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. So those are the two words, but then he kind of fleshes it out to abstain from the passions of the flesh. In other words, we're to be distinctive, people of God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, bearing the image of Christ, living differently. Not, He says, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct. In other words, conduct matters. Keep your conduct amongst your unbelieving neighbors honorable, so that... When they speak against you as evildoers, they may see something. There will be something translucent in your life. They'll see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. So this tells me that our time in this world is lived as sojourners or exiles. The two Greek words in this verse are the words peroikos and paradidimos, and it, it means, and I'm going to give you a list of the ways that many of the translations translate it, so there's not, It's it's often difficult to get the exact word here. So the NIV translates the two words as foreigners and exiles. The ESV says sojourners and exiles. The New King James Version says sojourners and pilgrims. The New Living Translation says temporary residents and foreigners. The New American Standard Bible says aliens and strangers. But this is Peter saying, this is your identity. This is who you are. They describe the missional movement of the church in the world. And the first word that Peter uses to describe the Christian is paroikos, which means we are pilgrims we are sojourners, we are passing through in the time of our temporary stay. Your life right now is temporary, that we're living in the time of our temporary stay in this world. We are on the move and we're not settled down. That's why the early Methodist church used to require that ministers move on from a church every year or two. They were stationed for only a year or two, and you would go to general conference. I can remember going to conference, and the the last thing at the conference, would they would read out the appointments, and you never knew where you're going to be appointed the next year. Now, they've kind of got different with it in recent years where they, they... They discuss it with you and they, they even discuss it with the church you're going to and there's a bit of a candidacy process and they've even changed the value where that now they believe that long-term pastoring is appropriate. But it was rooted in this, this idea that we're, we're not to get too comfortable in this world. In other words, Uh, we're pilgrims passing through. Matter of fact, the denomination that I used to be a part of was called the Pilgrim Holiness Church. And you can see where they might have gotten that idea, that we are to think of contemporary life as temporary life, that we are investing in, in futures, in the future of God, in the kingdom of God. We used to sing a song, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. And it means we're sojourners. It means the church is pilgrim, pilgrims. I want to put that in a verb form. Pilgrimaging <laughs> into God's future. We're moving forward into God's future. And, and do, don't we need to be reminded of that? This world is not our ultimate reality. There's a better reality that's waiting for us. And the second word that Peter uses is the word paradidimos, which means resident aliens who are not at home in this culture. Just like Canadians in America. You, you get what I mean, you know. So different, eh? <clears throat> and and he's reminding us of our identity of allner uh, alternativity that we're we're different. We're 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 not to be we're not even to think that we're supposed to be like this world. We're supposed to be like God's world, like God, and not to be conformed to this world. It's why he says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul, that there's a conflict between heaven and earth or God's world and the world of evil and sin. So what does Peter intend to convey by calling his readers paradidimos or pilgrims? He uses it as a metaphor to explain how participating in God's family, in God's church, in God's community, by definition, naturally means that they are to exclude themselves from the value systems of this world. We get our values from heaven. We get our values from the Word of God. We get our values from the life lived before us by the son of God, Jesus Christ. And I love what Eugene Peterson says about this word, paradidamas or pilgrim. He says it tells us that we are people who spend our lives going somewhere, going to God, whose path for getting there is the way, Jesus Christ. So these two words mean, number one, our current trials are only temporary. Do you need to remember that? Your current trials are only temporary. And secondly, we live in a way that points to our true home. They mean the church is moving forward as pilgrims towards God's future, and we bear witness in a world to an alternative reality, that they'll see your life and glorify God in heaven and see your life and say, oh my goodness, there is another way to do family, to do marriage, to do work. There's another culture, the culture of heaven. It's a much better way. And it's helping us imagine a prophetic alternative reality. And that's our purpose as people of God who scatter the light. God has scattered the church on a prophetic mission to shine the light on an alternative imagination of hope. It's like Philip Yancey said when he describes our pilgrim and alien identity. He says, quote, In the world, the Christians should work harder towards establishing colonies of the kingdom that point to our true home. All too often, the church holds up a mirror reflecting back the society around it rather than a window revealing, hey, there's a different way. And as pilgrims, the church have a priestly mission of alternativity. Christians are called to merge the traffic of this world into God's highway of holiness. So when Peter describes the church on the move as pilgrims and strangers in exile, he's telling us that there are, these are good metaphors for the church. Good metaphors to remember that this is our identity. The church is a Christian colony in a strange land. I want to read you something from a leading, highly respected Christian missiologist. A missiologist is a scholar and a teacher in the area of missions. And this missiologist, his name is David Bosch, and he's written a book called Transforming Mission. And he has a great description of this biblical identity as believers, that we are God's pilgrim people. And he writes it this way. He says, I just got some excerpts out of his book that really meant a lot to me. He says, first of all, the church is viewed as the people of God, and by implication then, we are pilgrim people. The biblical archetype, or that means the pattern here, is that the wan- that we are wander- the wandering people of God. The church is a pilgrim, not simply for the practical reason that in the modern age it no longer calls the tune and is everywhere finding itself in a diaspora situation. Rather, to be a pilgrim in the world belongs intrinsically to the church's eccentric position. The the Greek word church is ekklesia, which means we are the called out ones. We are called out of the world. And sent back into the world, transformed by God through the Holy Spirit to reflect the image of God in the world. So, foreignness is an element of our internal constitution that we're God's people immersed in a different world than heaven. And God's pilgrim people then need only two things, Bosch said support for the road and that's the Holy Spirit, and a destination at the end of it. It has no fixed abode here. It is parochia, that we are in temporary residence, and it's called to flesh out already in the here and now something of the conditions which are to prevail in God's reign. Proclaiming its own transience, the church pilgrimages towards God's future. So these two words, pilgrim and strangers, show us how God is scattering his light in the world. He asks us to manifest the culture of heaven in a multicultural world. Where has he scattered you? Where has he put you? we've been talking about this on wednesday nights because james begins his epistles with addressing the readers in this exactly the same way right john he calls them the scattered people of god and so we've we've talked a couple weeks about scattering and i just love your personal illustration of how god is using you up at the high school and uh, and 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 scattered you there as difficult as it was no longer is, <laughs> but no, just joking, but how God is using you there. And I'm wondering about each one of us that we may despise, we may not like where God has placed us, and it may be difficult, it may be hard, may be countercultural, but hang in there because God has confidence in you. He has chosen you for that purpose and placed you there and scattered you there to reflect the image of God. Jesus Christ there. And so the last thing I want to talk about is that third word that Peter uses in his salutation, to God's elect exiles scattered, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. It's that word scatter. Just want us to think about it. It's the Greek word diaspora. And it means that the church is a movement of the Holy Spirit scattered into the wilderness. In other words the church is not a building it is the people of God sent by the Holy Spirit into our neighborhoods in the bible the wilderness theme is a picture of the christian life wilderness stories are part of the main storyline of the bible we see that in the in the life of every main character in scripture there's the 40 years that Moses was in the wilderness preparing to be a leader, to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. There's the 40 years that the children of Egypt were in the wilderness before they could inherit the land of Canaan. There's Joseph being left by his brothers to die in the wilderness. There's David being hunted by Saul in the wilderness before he could ever become king. There's the 40 days that Jesus was fasting in the Judean wilderness. And And it's just amazing that even as Mark's gospel says in Mark 1.12, that the Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. So that tells us that whenever God sends his people into the wilderness, it's always a movement of the Spirit for the confrontation And the destruction of the works of the devil. Because God is a calling on our lives to scatter the light. And scattering is a compliment to you. (laughs) Scattering is is a mission that God has in mind for the redemption of the world. Just like Jesus left heaven and came to earth, we too are called to be scattered or sent by the Spirit into the wilderness. And Eugene Peterson says everybody, at least everybody who has anything to do with God, spends time in the wilderness. So it's important to know what God wants to do there and why he sent us there. And the history of the church is the story about people being scattered for the sake of the gospel. And the reason God scatters us is because the gospel wants wings. I love this statement by Dr. Paul Rees that I read when I was a young man, and it's always impressed me and impacted me. Paul Rees has this great description about the mobility of the gospel in his book called Stir Up the Gift. He says, the dynamic fact of the gospel is this, that the gospel wants wings. It wants out It was not born to vegetate within garden walls. It is itinerant. It is outreaching. It is outgoing, bound for the open, restlessly looking for the lost, the least and the last. Witnesses and wings. That's what the gospel wants, says Dr. Reese. So there's one thing we can be sure of about God, that he's going to mobilize the gospel. And he's going to do it with you or without you. The Holy Spirit is putting the wind of heaven under the wings of the gospel. And he wants to keep his family moving. He's releasing the gospel from our church buildings. And he's calling us to get to know our neighbors and to build community with our neighbors so we can shine the light into our neighborhoods. The Holy Spirit is not retiring the gospel. He's not telling us to reject culture or or to be reclusive from culture. He's calling us to enter into culture, to shine the light there. Because at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit propelled the gospel to go forth on air everywhere into the open air. And at Pentecost, the church was scattered from Jerusalem and Judea onto the uttermost parts of the earth. At Pentecost, we see that as God's pattern for every generation that God sends his church to be a movement of the Spirit into the wilderness places. I want to close with two illustrations of this. One is by... Uh, A leading thinker in this area of missions. His name is Ralph Winter, who is professor of missions at Fuller Theological Seminary. He was founder of the U.S. Center for World Missions and the Will and Carey Institute. He wrote a fantastic history of the the missionary movement of the church throughout history. It's called The Kingdom Strikes Back, Ten Epochs of Redemptive History. And it's one of the main chapters in his book called The Perspectives of the World Christian Movement. Uh, Winter says that throughout history, we can see the active concern of God to fulfill his mission in the world with or without the full cooperation of his people. And he said the movement of the Spirit has had four different mission mechanisms to extend God's rule into all the nations of the earth. And that's what God's plan is. That's, that's what's going to happen before Jesus' returns is the gospel is going to be taken. It's going to be scattered to all ends of the earth. I and mean, here's how God is doing it, according to Ralph Winter. He says four, there are four types of missionary outreach that God uses to force the Advancement of his kingdom. You know, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. In other words, he's forcing this, this kingdom is, his kingdom is coming to this world, whether we're part of it, whether we like it or don't. He says that we, we either go voluntarily like Abraham did, David did, Jesus did, the apostles did, or in involuntarily go like Jonah or like Joseph or the nation of Israel as a whole, or we come voluntarily, uh, come voluntarily like Ruth did, uh, Naaman the Syrian, or the Queen of Sheba, or we come involuntarily. And uh, one of the great examples that I want to tell you, the illustration of this that Winter uses, is the uh, story of the Vikings. And he says, the Vikings are an example of a people who came involuntarily. Into the kingdom of God. Uh, he said during the years AD 800 to 1200, the Vikings invaded the British Isles. They had never been evangelized, and for some reason, they especially enjoyed attacking churches and monasteries. Uh, Winter says that one person at that time wrote this description of the barbarism inflicted on the Christian people by the Vikings. They said that the Northmen cease not to slay and carry into captivity the Christian people, to destroy the churches and to burn the towns. Everywhere there is nothing but dead bodies, clergy and laymen, nobles and common people, women and children. There's no road or place where the ground is not covered with corpses. We live in distress and anguish before this spectacle of the destruction of the Christian people. So it's no wonder that the uh, Anglican prayer book contains this prayer from the fury of the north wind, O Lord, deliver us. But remember, the Holy Spirit is always on the move, right? In the wilderness. And God has an active concern for forwarding his mission. And it's not lost on him that the Vikings took these Christians and priests monks from the monasteries. And Winter describes what happened when, when when they did that. He says, once more, when Christians did not reach out to them, pagan people came after what the Christians possessed. And once more the phenomenal power of Christianity manifested itself. He said the conquerors became conquered by the faith of their captives. He said the monks were sold as slaves, and the Christian girls who were forced to be the Vikings' wives, eventually won these savages of the north to Jesus Christ. And in God's providence, he worked redemption in the midst of harrowing tragedy that fell upon God's beloved people. After all, he spared not his own son in order to redeem us. Thus again, what Satan intended to do for evil, God used for our good. As Christians, we are called to be translucent wherever we are, wherever God scatters us, wherever God plants you and puts you to transmit the light. We are people sent on mission to let the glory of Christ pass through our life. I want to tell you one last story, and that's a story about Benjamin Franklin. When Benjamin Franklin wanted to persuade the people of Philadelphia to adopt the new invention his new invention of street lighting. He did not try to convince them by talking about it or by uh, making a political grandstand speech about it. Instead, he hung his own beautiful lantern on a long bracket outside of his house door. And then he kept that glass of the lantern brightly polished and cleaned. And he carefully and he consistently every morning lit or every evening lit the wick at the approach of dusk, so that his light would shine bright. And it wasn't long before Franklin's neighbors liked the idea and bought their own lanterns and their own brackets and placed their own lights outside their own doors. And soon the entire city of Philadelphia got excited about the usefulness and the practical advantage of street lighting. And Benjamin Franklin influenced his neighbors not by preaching at them, but by rather by being a, an example to them. That's the influence of translucence. It's the powerful influence of translucence. Jesus said, you, here's who you are. You are the light of the world. Just like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will then praise the goodness of our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this valuable reminder from Peter to know and remember who we are, of what our purpose is here in life, that you have called us, you have transformed us by your Holy Spirit, given us everything that we need for life and godliness to reflect the beauty and the glory of heaven on earth. And you've given us the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who left it all in heaven and came to this world because you love the world. And he gave himself for us. You've called us to take up our cross and follow him in this same mission of the sprinkling of his blood. And so, Lord, we want our lives to be translucent with that love, that kind of love, that kind of missional purpose and perspective that we've come to make a difference in our world. And so if you want to scatter us, Lord, to widen our witness, let it be so. If you want to scatter us to enlarge the capacity of our influence of your glory, let it be so. If you want to scatter us so that your light will shine brighter, let it so. Let it be so. We want to join you in what you're doing in our world today. And so, Lord, we just want to confess. We want to say we're sorry for how we've um, just not paid attention to this incredible calling that you've given us. We've not understood why you've transformed us and sanctified us by the Holy Spirit and given us the power tools in order to build your church and your kingdom on earth. And Lord, we've neglected to remember the mission of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But today, Lord, we say as the early Moravians who were one of the first missionaries to Alaska would say, may the lamb that was slain not lose the reward of his suffering. And we pray that be true in my life, in all of our lives, in the life of this church, the church on the rock, Lord that through our life in our ministry, through our working together, that the lamb that was slain will, will gain the reward for which he suffered. So, Lord, help us to remember this and not let the enemy rob us of remembering who we are and the purpose for which you've put us here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord.